The world is rapidly changing. Nations are perplexed at unprecedented events and conditions. They seek the truth. What about you? Stay tuned to the episode of The Cleaver of Truth to discover what is God's last message to the world. And now, join your host, Dr. Justin Erasmus and Miracle Chogogudza in their quest to find out what is the great cleaver of truth. Mr. Chogogudza. Yes, Dr. J. My dear friend, how are you doing? Yeah, it's been it's been a very long time. It's been <laughs> it's been a while, eh? I I understand you were a bit under the weather. Yeah, I was under the weather. You yes. were out, eh? I was yeah, I was knocked out, and you I understand out. the same was happening yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I was indeed uh, for a couple of days. I was out, yeah. But but uh, thank God for garlic and ginger. Ginger, proof of vaccination, you say. <laughs> <laughs> no my brother don't start <laughs> don't start yeah no garlic oh ginger powerful and they'll make your breath also powerful <laughs> um yeah. yeah no i'm i'm glad to be um all well and good now much better yeah so no, thank god for that same same here god has been good mm. wonderful so i guess we can get straight into it Will you please open for us with a word of prayer? Okay. Our kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we'd like to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that you've given us again to come back and continue with your work, dear Father. We're about to discuss this truth, dear Father. I pray that your Holy Spirit may speak through us, dear Father, may speak to us as well. And bless those who shall listen to this discussion, dear Father, may also be blessed and strengthened, dear Father, and prepared to stand true to you during this judgment hour that we are in. Please hear my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, the last time we spoke, we dealt with the hour of God's judgment. Um, And just to recap our theme verse, I should say, for this series is found in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, and reading from verse 6 and 7. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. So as I've mentioned in the last episode, we spoke about the hour of God's judgment. And through these, we we clearly understand that this judgment began in the year 1844, according to the prophecy as recorded in Daniel chapter 8. And we walked through the first five feasts and we discussed them each of them briefly and we understood that they were already fulfilled now those five if i can mention them briefly are the passover unleavened bread first fruits pentecost trumpets and then today we will touch on the day of atonement and just quickly those five correspond to the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the intercession of Christ, and the announcement of the beginning of the heavenly judgment, respectively. So, having said that, the next feast, which we will talk about in this episode, is the Day of Atonement. This is the sixth feast which we are living in as we speak and which is directly connected with the hour of his judgment. Yeah. Um, And just to finish off the (coughs) second part of the verse of Daniel 8, verse 14, he said unto me unto 2,300 days, now I want to understand, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed, right? What does it mean to (laughs) cleanse the sanctuary? Now, we understand that this cleansing of the sanctuary began in 1844, now, what took place around 1844, it says that in Great Controversy, this wonderful book, it says 
the scripture which above all others had been both the foundation and central pillar of the Advent faith was the declaration unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. These had been familiar words to all believers in the Lord's soon coming. By the lips of thousands was this prophecy repeated as the watchword of their faith. All felt that upon the events thereon foretold depending their brightest expectations and most cherished hopes. These prophetic days had been shown to terminate in 1844. In common with these, the, the Christian world Adventists then held that the earth or some portion of it was a sanctuary. They understood that the cleansing of the sanctuary was a purification of the earth by fires of the last great day and that this would take place at the second advent, hence the conclusion that Christ would come in 1844. This is found in Great Controversy, page 409, paragraph 1. Mm. So the mistake that happened in 1844 was misunderstanding the word sanctuary or misunderstanding what kind of sanctuary, right? They thought Daniel was referring to the earthly sanctuary. That's what they misunderstood, right? But Daniel was referring to the heavenly sanctuary to be cleansed, right? So it means that all the calculations that they had done were correct, right? They just misunderstood the event that had to take place, right? Now, the sanctuary on earth had only one purpose. Right? That was his primary focus, on the sanctuary on earth. And this was to point the Jewish people to Christ as a sacrificial lamb. That was the point of the earthly sanctuary. And when he died, that sanctuary and its services on earth was completed. Mm. So this clearly indicates that there's another sanctuary that was spoken of because when Daniel spoke about the 2300 days these were to terminate in 1844 and Christ had, Christ had come within this time and he had made the sanctuary of the earth to cease so we see this in Matthew 27 verse 51 it says and behold the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom and the earth quake and the rocks rent so when Christ died mm -hmm. the veil in the earthly sanctuary tore mm. in two which was symbolical of the ending of the earthly sanctuary because the true sacrificial lamb Jesus Christ had been slain mm. right so that was the end of the earthly sanctuary type admit anti-type type admit anti-type so here that alone puts away the earthly sanctuary so that's where the advent believers were wrong they thought mm. that daniel was speaking of an earthly sanctuary but we see that the earthly sanctuary ceased when christ died mm. so then it begs us the question is there another sanctuary then mm. right and the question is yes there's another sanctuary or it's not another sanctuary it's the sanctuary mm. it's right? a substance it's a substance because mm. hebrews 9 verse 24 tells us for christ is not entered into holy places made with hands mm right which are figures of the true mm. but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of god for us mm. so the earthly sanctuary was the figure mm. of what is in heaven hence you'll see in exodus 25 verse 8 and 9 it says that make me a sanctuary that i might dwell among them Mm. And then verse 9 says, according to the pattern showed you up on the mount. Mm. So Moses made the earthly sanctuary according to what he had seen on the mount. Mm. So the, the earthly was a shadow of the heavenly. But does that say now the earthly sanctuary or the book of Exodus and, Levitic and Leviticus is of none effect now because everything was fulfilled? No, it does not mean that. The earthly sanctuary now, if we study it, it shows us what is taking place in the heavenly mm. so it's quite still important today mm. in in that it's shadow it's a figure of what christ is doing today right so that's when i understand that in 1844 the cleansing of this sanctuary was not the earth but it was a work but christ was beginning the third phase of his work right so the second phase was the second phase started when christ went up to heaven mm. when he died that was him entering to the most holy place to begin his intercession, intercessory work, mm. right? It was becoming our mediator, mm. right? So him entering in his third phase in 1844, he 
was getting to the third phase of his ministry, which was the removal of sin mm -hmm. from the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. right? Hence, it is important for us to be sending our sins now to the sanctuary because Christ is in the business of removing the sins out of the sanctuary. Right? Mm -hmm. But we'll get deeper into that as we go. Right? And according to what took place in the earthly temple, this would happen once a year. Mm. Right? So in the earthly temple, we see that the Day of Atonement took place once a year. It was at the end of the year, right? And this is where the high priest would enter into the most holy place. And mm. this is exactly what took place in 1844, right? So the Advent believers, I'll put again, because many people believe that Adventism was formed from a wrong prophecy, mm. right? And therefore, it cannot be true. Therefore, it cannot be true. Mm. But that is not true. The Advent believers mm. then had a misunderstanding of the sanctuary being spoken of. Mm -hmm. But every calculation that they had predicted was right. Mm -hmm. It's just the event that was wrong. They mm -hmm. thought Christ is coming back to the earth, right? But no, Christ was remaining in the heavenly sanctuary to complete mm -hmm. the third phase of his ministry. Mm -hmm. Then you'll come back to the earth. Mm -hmm. Right, and all this we understand when we look at the earthly sanctuary, because mm. it's a shadow of what's taking place in heaven. And in fact, that disappointment that occurred is actually a fulfillment of prophecy, Revelation chapter ten, ten I believe. Yes, yeah, yes, the seven, the th thunders, uh, where John takes the little book and he eats, and he eats it, it, and it's sweet in his mouth and it turns yes. bitter. So that yes. um, John then taking the role of of the that advent the church, movement yes. and experiencing that bittersweet uh, experience mm. yeah. so it was all part of mm. everything there was no mistake there everything that took place had to take place it's a wonderful god works mm. you know so now great controversy 48 paragraph 2 tells us the subject of the sanctuary and the investigative judgment should be clearly understood by the people of god all need a knowledge for themselves of the position and work of their great high priest. Mm. Otherwise, it will be impossible for them to exercise the faith which is essential at this time or to occupy the position which God designs them to fill. So, here the Ellen White or the prophet is telling us that we need to understand the sanctuary. Mm. Right? Partly the reason why many Christians act the way they do or eat the way they do, dress the way they do, or they're just so careless is because they don't understand the position that their great high priest is right now. And they don't understand mm. where he is in the ministerial, in his, in his ministry. Mm -hmm. They don't understand what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Hence, they feel at liberty to act the way they do. right? Because mm. they don't believe that or they don't know that there's a sanctuary in heaven. Right? They have mm -hmm. no clue mm -hmm. what Jesus is doing there. Right. Hence, it's pivotal for the angel now, the first angel, to cry with a mighty voice because kind of he recognizes that the people on earth have no understanding what the high priest is doing. Mm -hmm. So he needs to shout with a loud voice to arouse the people mm -hmm. that the hour of his judgment is come. Hence, we need to now understand the position of Christ so that we can know what work we need to be doing. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And this was... This festival was a most solemn festival which enacted the cleansing of the sanctuary from the record of Israel's sins. In other words, the removal of the sins from the sanctuary. And after the cleansing of the sanctuary, no record of forgiven sins was left. And I think this is very crucial to note as well. Mm. After the cleansing of the sanctuary, no record of forgiven sins was left. And thus... The erstwhile sinner stood before God as though he had never sinned. So I think it's important as well to note that it is only the sins that were taken up into the sanctuary that could be removed mm. by the ministry, by the blood of Christ. So this earthly cleansing of the sanctuary stood for the cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary, as you've just mentioned, uh, the substance Um which would remove the record of all the sins committed by God's people throughout the ages. Mm. So, in our study today, let us have a look at the cleansing, this cleansing aspect of the earthly sanctuary, of which then we can receive greater understanding of the heavenly sanctuary. As you said, it is not something that 
we should discard. It is something that we should consider, that we should study. Um, as it is well um, recognized that the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament mm. and the Old Testament revealed in the New Testament. Mm. Leviticus 16 verse 16 says, And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Once a year the high priest would enter into the holy of holies. That is the most holy place. Mm. Right? That's on the day of atonement. But not before first having made atonement for his own sins and those of the priesthood. So these were imperfect priests. Right? The priesthood of the Levites. And atonement was made for his own sin and that of the priesthood. And on that day, two goats were brought before the high priest, and lots were then cast. And the lot that was cast on the Lord's goat was then sacrificed. And then on entering the most holy place, the priest was to burn incense, and the blood of the sacrifice of the Lord's goat was then sprinkled before the ark to, um, and applied to the mercy seat. We can read about this in Leviticus 16 verse 13. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony, that he die not. Verse 15. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring his blood within the veil. And do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So, why was all of this done? What was the symbolism behind this? What was the meaning of all of these enactments? So, the fundamental issue here is that God's law had been transgressed. So, symbolically, then, the sprinkling of the blood on the mercy seat was a way of satisfying that law. It was a way of wiping out the record of sin through the grace of Christ. Right. So in Christ's closing ministry in the heavenly sanctuary, which is um, which represents the substance of the earthly sanctuary, it can only be understood in the light of the great day of atonement in the earthly sanctuary. So this is a message of profound hope. It tells us that the record of all our sins will soon be completely blotted out. What hope can we find in this message? Hebrews chapter 9 verse 23 says, It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So this earthly record was cleansed on the Day of Atonement by the blood of the Lord's goat. But now the heavenly record was cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Remember now in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 it says, For it is not possible mm. that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. So this sacrifice had to be a more perfect and complete sacrifice. And that is only found in Jesus Christ. Leviticus chapter 16 verse 16 reads, And ye shall make an atonement for the holy place. Beautiful word, atonement. I don't know if we've spoken about this word before, atonement. Basically, it was coined by um, Tyndale. Atonement, at one moment. Um, beautiful word. Um, it's, it's, it has an added dimension compared to redemption. Um, very beautiful word. Because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins, and so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of the uncleanness. So after that whole process that the priest does, you see that on his way out of the sanctuary, the high priest would then apply the blood on the golden altar of burnt offering thus atoning for the entire sanctuary 
right? In type, all the record, all the recorded sins of Israel were cleansed from the sanctuary, right? And I think you mentioned that it was only the confessed sins that were considered when the high priest would go up. So now it was only these confessed sins or these sins that were in the sanctuary that were cleansed, right? So then hands was laid on the scapegoat, right? The scapegoat then representing Satan, mm. right? And this goat was led into the desert and set free. So in type, the record of sin was transferred to the scapegoat or the scapegoat was called Azazel and it's still Satan or the devil, right? And it was he was initially, like he's the initial person that is responsible for sin, mm. right? Satan is the originator of sin. Right. Note that the scapegoat was not put to death. Mm. Satan is thus not Satan is thus not the sin bearer, as in the sins that atoning for our sins. No, Satan is just. Or let me just say, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Mm. Right. So it merely it merely represents that the transference of the guilt of the responsible party was placed on Satan. Mm. Right? This is how Satan was carrying our sin. Because mm -hmm. if you look at it, it was sin that killed Jesus. Mm. If you look in, 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 in the, what Jesus said in Gethsemane, he said that my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, mm. even unto death. Mm. Right? This is exactly when the sin was laid upon Jesus, the sin of humanity. So it was sin that killed Jesus. Mm. Now it is sin that is going to kill Satan. Mm. According to the prophecy of Genesis 3 verse 15, it's sin that must be placed upon the head. That is how the head is crushed, mm. with our sin. So Jesus needs our sin in order to crush the head of Satan. So this is another important aspect of the ministry of Christ. If Jesus does not have sins up there, it means that he has no sins to crush Satan with. Hence, it is important for us to confess our sins, to send our sins up there in the sanctuary, mm. right? Jesus is the only one who bore our sins and made atonement for them through the shedding of his blood. But Christ was not responsible for our sin. It is also important to know that only the recorded of the confessed sins is placed on Azazel's head or on Satan's head. It's only the recorded sins is so having said that, it's then easy to understand that Satan's mission is to ensure that our sin remains with us. Yes. For then he will not be punished. Yes. He will not receive mm -hmm. the penalty of the sins which he led yes. us into committing. Yes. You see, many people believe that Satan just wants to lead us astray so that we can burn in hell with him. Hmm. That is not Satan's mission. Satan believes that he can stop the plan of redemption from going on. Mm. And indeed he can, but he won't. Understand, Christ needs sin to crush Satan's head. But if Christ does not have sin, Satan can go free. Mm. And it's, it's also important for us to understand that there's a time in which all this must take place. Mm. And if it's not done in that time, then... Satan can walk away because Christ was not able to accomplish his mission within the given time, right? But that's another start for another day. It just shows us how important the plan of redemption is and how it's never going to fail whether we confess our sins or not. God is going to have a people that is going to give him his sin and that, was that are going to be perfect mm. to crush Satan's head. So it, 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 it gets deeper. Right, but bottom line is we need to confess our sins. We need to confess our sins. That is what's going to kill Satan. Right. So unconfessed sins are not atoned for, and the sinners that knowingly refuse the gift of salvation also have to bear the guilt of their own sin. Mm. Now it is sin that is that it is sin that killed Jesus. Mm. It is sin that is going to kill Satan. Mm -hmm. So it means it's sin that is going to kill us if we don't confess our sins. Mm -hmm. Hence, we need to forsake the sin otherwise if we cleave to the sin we'll be destroyed with it with it yes you know when it says that our god is a consuming fire we mm. spoke about that the other day our god is a consuming fire mm. so when jesus comes again he's not going to kill anyone mm. his glory 
is going to consume any taint, any defilement of sin. So it's not that he wants to destroy us. It's just that because we are clinging on to our sin, we become de- we we get destroyed with the sin. So hey, it's, it's it's quite deep. Mm. <laughs> um, so we must keep in mind that the cleansing that took place on this day is a type mm. of the antitypical cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary, mm. right? So what happened then is exactly what is taking place now, in verity, mm. right? Back then was in shadow. Mm now is the actual thing you know and this was to begin or it began at the end of the of the 2300 days of Daniel 8 verse 14 which says that then the sanctuary shall be cleansed so this is the cleansing of the sanctuary and we've discussed when this began if we we say that it began in 457 according to the decree passed by Artaxerxes 457 plus 2,300 days takes us straight to 1844, right? The cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary thus began in 1844, Mm -hmm. which means that Jesus entered into the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary and he began his ministry then. Mm. So it's been almost almost 200 years, 177 years of Jesus Mm. doing this work of blotting out of sins. Now I just want us to, to take a quick detour and just say, 177 years since Jesus began the ministry of blotting out his sins, our sins. Mm-hmm. This is the final phase of Jesus' ministry. It's been 177 days. If you look at yes. the if you look at the state of our world today, it shows you how close he is by almost finishing. Mm. It means he's almost finished. And when Jesus is almost finished, it means that he almost has a people that has fully confessed their sins mm. and means he almost has sins to crush the head of Satan. Mm. So the question now comes back to us of, do we fall part of that people that have fully confessed their sins, that are ready to, to vindicate God's character? Mm. So he, this this thing of the sanctuary becomes depends. Ellen White is telling us everyone needs an understanding of the position and the work of Christ. Because mm. that's the only way that we're going to know what we need to be doing. Right? So as Christ's ministry in the heavenly could not have commenced before Calvary because without his blood, this ministry would not begin, right? It then follows that he must have started his ministry in the holy place, the first chamber, the work of intercession, which was important, right? The only time, the only time a reference in the Bible to as to the com, commence, commencement, the only time of the commencement um, of the next phase of his ministry, the cleansing of the sanctuary or the pre-advent judgment is recorded in Daniel 8, mm. right, verse 14. This leads us to 1844, the end of the 2,300-day prophecy. Mm. Right. So this is how sure we are that Christ's work began in October 22, mm. 1844. Mm. It was when Christ left earth after the, the, the 50 days of Pentecost, he went up into the holy place. Hebrews 9 verse 12 tells us that not by the blood of bulls and calves, mm-hmm. but by his own blood entered once into the holy place. Mm-hmm. Now some translations will try and mix it up and say he went to the most, most holy way. place. Mm-hmm. But we know that Christ went into the holy place because that was marking the second phase of his ministry, mm-hmm. which was the work of intercession and you can find that in Hebrews 7 verse 25 mm-hmm. Romans 8:34 this is when Christ began his work of intercession mm-hmm. now October now we jumped October 22 1844 he began his work of blotting out of sins because now the sanctuary must be cleansed according to Daniel 8:14 mm-hmm. so he's cleansing now the sanctuary meaning he's removing sin mm-hmm. and up until now, we've been focusing on the work or the ministry of this high priest, which is Christ, our Lord and our Savior. But there was another aspect to the Day of Atonement, and that was with the duty of the congregation. Mm. So we know during this time, it was not as if the congregation were idle, were just sitting, folding their hands in, and watching the work of the high priest. We read in Leviticus chapter 23 verse 26. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, Also on the tenth day of this seventh month 
there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be an holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls, and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And ye shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement, to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever soul it be that doeth any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. He shall do no manner of work, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest. And he shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month, at even, even from even unto even, shall he celebrate your Sabbath. Now the tenth day of the seventh month was the day of atonement. Now it was regarded as more sacred than any other day in the Jewish calendar. So it was a ceremonial Sabbath and a fast day. Right, and the Israelites who did not afflict his soul upon that day was cut off from among the people, we are told in Scripture. So this day was regarded as so sacred that even at the present time, this present time, that although many Jews rejected Christ himself, there are few, um, and few even regard um, or disregard the Sabbath, yet when the tenth day of the seventh month arrives, there are no Jews that will do any business upon that day, however wicked they may be. So this is a day that is really considered um, and esteemed to be a, a significant day in the Jewish calendar. Now this day of atonement had an antitype and for the remainder of this episode we will deal with the antitype regarding the duty of the congregation. So the Jews associated the Day of Atonement with the Day of Judgment and the ritual enacted by the high priest represented the cleansing of the sanctuary, the wiping out of the record of sin and the final salvation of Israel. So this pointed forward to the time of the pre-advent judgment that was to take place in heaven prior to the return of Christ to this earth to redeem his people. Now, prior to the return of Christ, there has to be a judgment in heaven, or, how, or else how would he be able to separate the wicked from the just and claim those that are his if no such judgment had taken place? Now, additionally, just to add in something as well, this doctrine of the sanctuary, and specifically the, the Day of Atonement, it actually shows you what are true or false doctrines. Um, for example, the state of the dead. This doctrine actually shows you that it cannot be that individuals who died in Christ are taken up immediately into heaven. For they cannot receive their reward yet. Because Christ had not completed his work of atonement. Mm. So this doctrine, it really it binds all other doctrines in the Bible. And it shows you what is true and what is not true. Hence, hence the statement. I, I like the wording that was used for the statement. It says that the subject of the sanctuary was both the foundation mm. and central pillar. Mm. That alone just makes this doctrine the most important doctrine of the Bible. Mm Hence, -hmm. Christ says, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. Wow. So if you have an issue with any statement of belief, uh, whatever it may be, if there is um, dispute among any teaching, Bible teaching, all you have to do is look as David did, look into the sanctuary, and there you will find God's way. You will understand. So, out of out of out of the day of uh, atonement concerning the congregation now there were four things that we've read now in Leviticus chapter 23 uh, there were four things that we can highlight which was the duty of the congregation so as i've mentioned they did not sit back with their arms folded and watching 
the high priest perform his ministry no they had a duty to perform so we can just go through them one by one the first one was that it was instructed to them that the day of atonement shall be unto them a holy convocation right the second aspect that was that the souls or the israelites were to afflict their souls right the third part was that they were to offer an offering made by fire unto the lord the fourth um, idea that we can highlight is that they were to do no work in that very day and these are all taken from leviticus chapter 23 and i think we can to spend a bit of time and um, delve into each one of these aspects, these four duties of the congregation. Mm. So the very first one, as you mentioned, was that the day of atonement shall be a holy convocation unto you. Mm -hmm. That day, the people were to assemble for religious worship. That's Mm -hmm. what convocation means. Mm. They were assemble for religious worship Paul speaks thus of individuals who in the last who in the days when the high priest should soon come forth from the heavenly sanctuary would forsake a religious assembly. Mm. Right? So before Jesus Christ finishes work in the most holy place, many false doctrines, like you mentioned, are going to come around. And many people are going to say that it's not important mm. to assemble together. Right. This is not in line with what the Day of Atonement requires. It was to be a day of holy convocation. Mm. And it's interesting today, during this COVID, I think it was part of the devil's plan because he knows that there is power in the assembling of brethren together. Mm. But now he's maneuvering around this concept of not assembling together, of not having church. And having church was a command from God. Mm. himself saying you should not stop if you read in uh, hebrews 10 verse 19 says that having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of jesus by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh and having an high priest over the house of god let us draw near with a true heart full of assurance of faith mm. having your hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience and your bodies washed with pure water let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he that promised for he for he is faithful that promised let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is mm. by exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching so paul is telling the hebrews that they need to not forsake Mm. the assembling simply because we are in the day of atonement and we are not to forsake the assembling even more when we see the day of christ approaching so it's very important for god's people to assemble and this is not the only verse in the bible that speaks of saints assembling I can think of Malachi 3 verse 16 and 17, Hebrews 3 verse 13. These are all verses and there are much more that tells us the importance of assembling together. And moreover, it's the requirement of the Day of Atonement. A soul that did not do this in the type was cut off from the camp, right? So the one that takes no pleasure in meeting with those of like faith to worship God has an evil conscience. Mm. And, has lost, and has lost faith in the near coming of our high priest from the heavenly sanctuary. There is a special blessing as well in worshipping with others. God has promised that where two or three mm. are gathered in his name, he is there with them and is ready to meet them. Right? The first requirement is a spiritual thermometer by which every Christian can test his condition. Mm. So if you are not assembling with the saints of God, then your spiritual level probably is low mm. because the, the, another blessing in assembling is that you get encouragement from the next person. Mm-hmm. You know, there's power in sharing a testimony, a small testimony mm. of how God has been gracious and good to you in the mm. week. So when you, are, when you forsake these things, our faith dies. Mm. Hence, I think it's on record that ever since the lockdown began, spirituality and churches has lost many members, mm. not to death, 
but many church members have just left the church mm. you know and i believe it's recorded as well that iron sharpens iron Mm, mm, we sharpen each and other with steel on steel. Ex- <laughs> and exact and and three chords are not as or are not as easily broken as two chords. Mm, mm. And likewise as one chord. So there's definitely um meaning and and merit behind the assembly of the saints. Um the second aspect that we are told regarding the duty of the congregation is that their souls were to be afflicted. Each individual was to afflict his soul um, in soul searching, um, right, and putting away of every sin, spending much time in prayer. With this was connected abstinence from food, um, the concept of fasting as we understand it today. This was so forcibly impressed upon the minds of ancient Israel that even at present day the Jews fast upon the tenth day of the seventh month. Right, and we can understand much about this concept of fasting in the eyes of the Lord when we take a look at Isaiah chapter fifty-five. In fact, the entire verse, the entire chapter, is so loaded; it's so powerful. Um, and just to to highlight a few verses out of that, maybe we can read from verse five. The Lord says, "Is through the prophet Isaiah, is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord?" Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that he break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily and thy righteousness shall go before thee the glory of the lord shall be thy reward so we can see from this from this passage of scripture that when the lord requires um affliction of the soul it is not that of uh, an outwardly affliction of the soul the putting on of sackcloth and ashes etc but it, it is, the Lord is concerned with with the afflicting of the heart, of the soul. It is um, an, an inner matter, um, concerned with character, ultimately, um, and, and not an, an outwarding affliction of the soul. Right, this was the time of judgment. This was the time when, when the sins were being cleansed from the sanctuary. And during this time, the Israelites would search their hearts, right, and afflict their souls for the sins which they have committed, which caused the death of the sacrifice which was slain, right, before the priest went in and ministered with the blood into the sanctuary. So they would have a deep sorrow for sin, in other words. So the individual who realizes that the judgment is going on, is taking place currently in the sanctuary, and that his name at one or other time will be presented before that great tribunal. And, and I think we will talk about this in the next episode. Mm. Um, we will go into more depth. So right, this person will search his heart and pray earnestly that God will accept him. We need often to meditate upon the work of our high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. Lest by having the mind filled with earthly thoughts, we like the foolish virgins will find when it's too late that the bridegroom has already come. The door is shut. The door of mercy is closed. The work is finished and we have no part in it. Hmm. So the third requirement that had to be taken in consideration on the day of atonement was offering an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So the offerings made by fire were consumed upon the altar. In the antitype, we do not offer burnt offerings of bullocks and rams, but 
God expects us to fulfill the antitype of the offering consumed upon the altar. He desires that the whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. At 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 12 verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Right? So the entire <clears throat> life of a Christian is to be laid upon the altar, mm. ready to be used as the Lord directs. None can do this who do not daily accept Christ as a personal or as a sin offering and know what it is to be accepted and beloved. So it's important for us as Christians to live our lives sacrificing ourselves on the altar for Christ's service. And that would, of course, include every area and aspect of the life. Yeah, we would have gotten in depth with this, but it's a study on its own because now this will bring in how you need to eat, mm. how you need to dress, what needs to come out of your mouth, this, like, is, this is actually where reform comes in. The reforms need to come in here. Mm. So the fourth aspect, he shall not do no work or he shall do no work in that same day. And it was kept as a ceremonial Sabbath, not to be confused with the weekly Sabbath, uh, the Sabbath of the Lord uh, by the ancient congregation. So all work was laid aside and the entire thought was given to seeking God and serving him. Right. God's work was given the first thought during the entire day. Such was the type. But it does not follow that on the antitypical day, the day of atonement which we are living in, that anyone or nobody should attend to personal business. That is not what is being instructed for God never intended his people to be slothful in business. Right, So he promises to bless them in temporal, temporal things, if they fulfill the antitype by looking after his work and service first and their temporal interests second, right? So Jesus brought a perfect balance in and I, I really like how in, in all things the Bible is so beautifully balanced and it is Satan that always leads God's people to either one end, um, in other words, to an extreme in that direction or an extreme in the opposite direction. You either... Uh, a legalist or you are an antinomianism or antinomianist or uh, liberal uh, the law doesn't exist anymore so in Luke chapter 21 verse 34 the Bible reads and take ye to yourselves lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with suffering and drunkenness and cares of this life and so that day come upon you unawares Matthew chapter 6 verse 32 for after all these things do the Gentiles seek for your heavenly Father, knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Right, if I can maybe just close off this fourth aspect from the book Adventist Home, page 23, I believe. Vigilance and diligence to be blended. When we give ourselves unreservedly to the Lord, the simple, commonplace duties of home life will be seen in their true importance, and we shall perform them in accordance with the will of God. We are to be vigilant, watching for the coming of the Son of Man, and we must also be diligent, working as well as waiting is required. There must be a union of the two. This will balance the Christian character, making it well-developed, symmetrical. We should not feel that we ought to neglect everything else and give ourselves up to meditation, study, or prayer. Neither are we to be full of bustle and hurry and work to the neglect of personal piety. Waiting and watching and working are to be blended, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Beautifully balanced, wonderfully put. We are not to turn into monks if I could put it that way, mm -hmm. um, but always striking a balance. And, and as I've mentioned, 
it's so beautifully how when it comes to things of the Lord, it is beautifully balanced. Mm. I, I I always like to put it in this way that we often think that working for the Lord means you're going to be poor or mm. but once your whole life is engaged in ministry, mm. right, whatever ministry it may be, mm. your temporal work is gonna come from that mm. kind of work that you're doing. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm. Mm. But that like you find your balance in that. But however, if you are fully working on the other side, not necessarily in ministry. Mm. It's very difficult for you, however, to find that balance to doing the Lord's work. Mm. Because usually on the other side, it requires all of your time. Mm. You don't have time for personal devotion. Mm. Or your personal devotion is rushed. Mm. You don't have time for an in-depth study of God's word. Mm. So on the other side of the spectrum, it's very difficult now to bring balance to the spiritual and the normal mm. life. Mm. It, it gets very difficult. But you'll find that it's complete when you serve God Mm. with your life. Mm. So you also see now that God is testing the great and typical congregation. Mm. As the typical congregation had to go through these requirements, these are things they had to do. We have, we have to go through the same thing, right? Who will fulfill the antitype and not forsake the assembly of God's people? Mm. Who, will be a clear, who will keep a clear mind by controlling the appetite and a pure heart by prayer and deep heart searching, who will lay all the interests upon the altar of God to be used for his glory and never let the cares of this life crowd out God's work or study of his word. Over such as these, our high priest will say, he that is righteous, mm. let him be righteous still, and he that is holy, let him be holy still. So this is what is to um, engage our minds. We mm. need to constantly realize that we are in the day of atonement mm. and it's, it's it's quite important to ask yourselves these questions before you, you or if you're faced with a difficult decision to make mm. tell yourself we're in the day of atonement mm. is what i'm about to do um necessary or is it is it supposed to be done in the day of atonement and i think it will be a good rule of life to go through life will, it, will it honor god Will it honor God? Yes. Is it in line with what our, my high priest is doing up there? Mm -hmm. And if it's not in line with what the high priest is doing, then it's probably not the best mm -hmm. to do. You know. So the standard of judgment then has now remained the same. Mm -hmm. It will always be the same. I think you always highlight this point when you speak, that the standard of judgment is what it has always been. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, is the, it was the law of God. Mm -hmm. It will always be the law of God. The law does not change. It's a transcript of God's character. Unless God changes, then shall his law change. But if nothing like that takes place... <laughs> and, and if the law could be changed, then the death of Christ was in vain. It was in vain. Meaning that the law is never going to be changed. You know? So speak ye and do ye as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. James 2 verse 12. Let us hear the conclusion of the matter for God and his commandments fear god and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for god shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil so mm -hmm. the law of god is the standard of judgment it was it will always be mm -hmm. right paul writes blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us mm -hmm. which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to the cross colossians 2 Verse 14, there was only one law that was against us in the sense that it showed us our transgression required the sacrifice of the Son of God in order to satisfy the demands of justice. And that law was the ceremonial law. So many people get confused because sometimes the writing of Paul is too in-depth or it's too educated. Mm. I remember Peter and one of his apostles wrote the writing of our brother Paul is too deep for us uneducated people. So there's all there's sometimes in especially in the Christian world, mm -hmm. they'll tell you that the law of God has been done away with its mm -hmm. change and they'll quote mm. Paul's writings. Mm. They will quote it. For mm -hmm. me misquote actually. For me when I read Galatians, it it's another book that just mm. shows like it confuses you on which laws are being spoken of. Because he'll tell you we are not under the law anymore. We are under grace. And then they'll be like, ah, you see, the mm. law is gone. 
So we need to bring a balance to this and, and, and just make people understand which laws are being spoken of here. Mm. By his own sacrifice, he fulfilled the ceremonial law and blotted it out. Right. His sacrifice fulfilled the type and henceforth no further sacrifice is needed. Right. Take this book of the law and put it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God that it may be there as a witness against you. Mm-hmm. This is Deuteronomy 21 verse 26. This, mm-hmm. this, this book of the law was speaking of the ceremonial law. Mm-hmm. It had to be by the side of the ark, mm-hmm. not in the ark. In the ark was a more better law or, 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 or the moral law the moral law the main law was inside the ark and we can just contrast the two we, we just have a few examples of the contrast that we can look at sure. so in the moral law you find that it's called the law of liberty mm-hmm. right in james 2 verse 12 mm-hmm. and uh, the ceremonial law as you've actually just read now um, in Colossians, that it was the handwriting of ordinances. Uh, you can find some parallel texts in Ephesians 2.15 and Hebrews 9 verse 10. Hmm. And the moral law, you'll see that it was spoken by God himself. Hmm. Compared to where Moses speaks the law to the people. So God doesn't, God says, when it comes to my law, I will speak it myself. Yeah. I don't trust twice. Twice, I don't trust anyone else. I will speak it myself. Yeah. But the 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 ceremonial law I will give to Moses to speak to the people mm. because of the hardness of their hearts. Mm. <laughs> um, and then you will see that the moral law was written by the finger of God, meaning in stone. Mm. Right? It was written by the finger of God on stone, meaning that it can never change. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a misnomer of like. Um, you see, when Christ was writing mm-hmm. with a finger, mm-hmm. um, in, in in with a woman that was caught in adultery, mm-hmm. he was writing in dust, mm-hmm. in sand, meaning that that could be erased, her sins could be erased, wow. and she could have a clean start. But when Christ writes on the wall, when Christ writes in stone, it yeah. means judgment. It means this is important. It mm. can never change, mm. right? Look at Babylon, the handwriting mm. on the wall. That could never ah, change. Ah. It, it was in the wall by the finger of God. Wow. Meaning it, it was fixed. Mm. There was nothing that can reverse that. Mm. It is what it is. And that's why you see that Christ wrote with a finger mm. into stone. Mm. It can never change. Wow. Well, we compare that to the book of the law, the ceremonial law, which according to Deuteronomy chapter 31 was written by Moses. Mm. And now this moral law, um, it was placed inside, hmm. inside the ark. You find that in First Kings eight verse nine, Deuteronomy ten verse one to five, Hebrews nine verse four, and Exodus forty verse twenty. It hmm. was placed inside. Whereas the, ark. the the ceremonial law was placed beside the ark, hmm. also Deuteronomy chapter thirty one. And it's interesting that before the law, before the law was the ark was just called an ark. Mm. put the law in there now the it's called the ark the ark of the covenant <laughs> which is like the main piece of furniture of the sanctuary the mm. ark of the covenant you know um, this law existed before sin mm. so before there was sin there was a law mm-hmm. right and you can see that in John 3 verse 4 um, John 3 verse 4 and 8 Romans 4 verse 15 mm-hmm. 5 and 13 as well mm. Whereas the ceremonial law was given after sin. So put very plainly and simply, the moral law shows us what sin is. The ceremonial law tells us how God deals with sin. Mm. Mm. Good. That's a way of putting it. Right. And then purpose was to reveal sin. This was the moral law, like you just said now. Um, yeah. And then the ceremonial was... Um, how God will deal with sin. Mm-hmm. It was also eternal, established by the gospel, mm-hmm. right? Established by the gospel. We can find this in Psalms 111, verse 7 and 8, Matthew 5, 18, mm-hmm. Romans um, 3, verse 31. Mm-hmm. Whereas the ceremonial law is not eternal, it's temporary, and it was abolished at the Christ as we've just read in the book of Colossians chapter 2. The moral law says, it also says that it's not grievous. Mm-hmm. And then in First John 5 is 3. 
whereas the ceremonial law was contrary to us. It did not agree with us. And this moral law, it judges everyone for all must appear before the judgment mm. seat. Which we'll deal with next week. Yeah. Um, however, the ceremonial law judges no one's Colossians chapter 2 as well. Mm. So the moral law is spiritual. Ceremonial law is carnal. Um, the moral law is complete, perfect, holy, just, and good. Mm. Right? Many people have think that the law is such a bad story. Like, why mm. is law? Have you ever seen what happens to a society without laws? Mm. Perfect example of uh, listeners must just go and read about the French Revolution. Mm. They took away the law. Mm. There is, in fact, it was a day of lawlessness. Age of reason. Age of reason. And look at what happened. The people themselves are like, no, we need law. We need mm. like some form of government needs mm. to be established because of the chaos that had taken place. This is a French Revolution. Well, uh, the ceremonial law is subject to change, as we have noted, and it was not perfect. It was, uh, it could not um, make a complete or perfect atonement for sins. Yeah. So the the sanctuary service in the gospel type, and the new so oh yeah, the sanctuary service is the gospel in type. It's mm -hmm. the gospel in shadow. The New Testament, however, comes and it becomes the gospel in verity, mm. right? So if you start at the sanctuary, we'll be led to a greater understanding of the ministry of Christ. Mm. I guarantee you no Christian will remain who they are when they understand the subject of the sanctuary. The Bible warns that for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Mm -hmm. This is a deceiver in an antichrist. John mm -hmm. 2, verse, 2, John 2, 2 John 1, verse 7. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say now again. If anyone preach another gospel unto you that ye have not received, let him be accursed. That's Galatians 1 verse 8 and 9. These are strong words and it is therefore vital that we understand the ministry of Christ. Anyone that breaks down this ministry changes the ministry or even replaces the ministry with any other means of salvation is denying the fact that Jesus has come mm. in, the full, in the fulfillment of all types. Right. And that makes him an antichrist. And you can see that the sanctuary doctrine is the doctrine that is most stepped on. Because mm. the devil has an understanding that once he removes the sanctuary message, mm -hmm. he has God's people in lock. Um, so that is the same as denying Jesus Christ that is coming in the flesh when someone comes and presents another gospel or that the, um, or that the sanctuary was not fulfilled. Right. Indeed, the Bible warns that the Antichrist would come and replace the ministry of Jesus with another system. Mm. So we need to be informed so that we will not be deceived. Mm. Right. Moreover, we are warned that deceptions will be so staggering that if possible, it will deceive the very elect. Mm. Right. That's Matthew 24 verse 24. It is said that modern Christianity seems rooted in the cross, ignoring further ministry of Christ and making of no avail the work of sanctification. The Bible clearly states, pursue peace with all men and sanctification or holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. That's Hebrews 12 verse 14. So this understanding of the sanctuary tells a Christian where Jesus is and what that person needs to do. Mm. So then the obvious question then is who is the enemy? Who is this enemy that will try to make of no effect the ministry of Jesus? I know we are told in the book of Daniel that this Antichrist will seek to take away the daily, the continual in the original language. Um, and this is linked uh, quite explicitly to the sanctuary and the, the ministry of the high priest in the sanctuary services. Um, so the question is, who is it that will preach another gospel? So subtle in its approach that even the elect will be deceived. So we know that 
This deception will be devastating. And in order to succeed, the enemy must disguise it well. So we know that the deceptions of of Satan is always so well disguised. It's so presented as so near or close to the truth that it is readily accepted by the masses. So, in fact, the Bible has much to say on the issue. And just because it's uncomfortable, it's politically incorrect to address these issues. It's very touchy. Um, I, I remember once um, um, one one of our dear friends who authored the book, uh, the Mark of the Beast, uh, Trade Unions, Revolutions, and the Mark of the Beast. I offered this book to to one lady um, of of one of the Christian faiths, and she just she she was actually quite scared. To be honest, she said, mm. "No, I don't, I don't want to read this book. It's, mm. This is dangerous things, you know." She she was really afraid um, and and actually startled to that I presented this book to her. I offered it to her, so. You know, these things are sort of taboo almost. People don't want to talk about these things or, or study them, etc. But we are told that we need to study these things. It's it's not an uh, an excuse for ignoring the last message or warning. So it is um, imperative that we study these prophecies for we also have a more sure word of prophecy where unto he do well that he take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Second Peter 1 verse 19. And with that, I think we can close off. Shall I pray? Yes, Heavenly Father, Lord God, we want to say thank you that we can study your word. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that your word is readily available to all who wish to seek you and what you have to say to us. Thank you, Father God, for your great work of atonement in the heavenly sanctuary. Father God, thank you, Father, that you have revealed these marvelous and great and deep truths to us that we too by faith can confess our sins and see them taken up into the most holy place, into the sanctuary where your ministry will then cleanse and remove them even the record of sins father god i pray lord that you will instill in our heart a deep hatred for sin lord cleanse us from unrighteousness father god cover us with your righteous robe that the sin and the shame and the guilt of our nakedness be not revealed lord that our enemies rejoice not over us but that we will be saved, Father. Thank you, Lord, for um, the fact that we can pray to you, Lord, for we know that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And we say thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayer. We say thank you, Father, that you answer our prayer. For we ask it in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. We trust that you were blessed by today's talk. Please do share it with your friends and family and subscribe so that you don't miss a new episode.